Hey guys, I'm Charlie Walker, and as the producer of this show, I want to say thank you so much for being part of this journey with us. Today's show is absolutely worth the listen, but keep in mind this is a Zoom call and some of the audio will lag here and there. So with that being said, I hope you enjoy this awesome episode with Quentin Harris and Jeff Simfer. Welcome back to the What's Your More podcast. Today, I am joined by a very special guest. Uh, from an audience perspective, guys, you're in for a treat. I'm super pumped about having an industry professional here for both loan originators and real estate agents. I'd like to welcome to the show, Jeff Zimfer. Welcome to the show today, my friend. Gwen, it's a pleasure to be here. I've been anticipating this is going to be a fire call for some time. Yeah, man, I am pumped. You know, Jeff is a former national sales trainer with Tony Robbins and has been in the real estate industry since 2003. As a successful mortgage originator, he's consistently closed over 120 loans per year, and he's the host of the highly rated mortgage marketing radio and the author of Disrupt or Die, How to Survive and Thrive the Digital Real Estate Shift. Jeff, again, welcome to the show. I know we're about to put some things in perspective for the audience today. I feel like I got to bring my A game on now, man, because I know you got a sharp audience and and so I'm thrilled to get going. Yeah, you know, thanks for that. I, I you know, I was talking to some people before we got on the show today and I was like, you know, this is kind of cool for me because we have not had as I say, an industry professional to literally bring advice to people on the show. We have a lot of people that have done some things, but being the coach that you are and coaching for as long as you have, I kind of feel like you've seen so many different spectrums that that's what makes this conversation kind of cool today for our audience, because we're going to be able to tackle every single topic for any audience out there. And so I, you know, I, I kind of want to kick it off, you know, here we are in 2023, 2022, you know, some might argue not the best year for them, whether you're right. in loan origination or you're in real estate. But, you know, I look at that from a perspective thing that that was still a top five year. You know, if you're in real estate, that was a top five year. And a lot of people don't recognize that because they got into real estate in 2019 and they got into loan originating in 2019. So I, I want to hit you with the million dollar question right now that I think a lot of people are asking themselves. Over 50% of originators got into the business in 2019 and over 50% of real estate agents got into the business in 2019, the current database of people that are in the business. Really? Yeah. And that's interesting because it it, it just jumped dramatically and, and, and started in 2019 through 2020 and 2021. We literally got a population pool of people in the business that doubled. And so with that being said, what what are you coaching people on right now that are having this struggle in 2020 and 2023 where they didn't experience that struggle in 2019 and 2020 and 2021? The new reality. Oh, I love it. <laughs> the new reality that, uh, you know, um, the years we've just come through post-COVID, uh, you know, the the incredibly low interest rates, the pent-up huge demand, uh, that was a perfect storm in a positive way. And uh, I think, you know, to use that old cliche of the rising tide lifts all boats, I think uh, every, it was pretty easy. Uh, as a matter of fact, I just talked to a person uh, yesterday, and uh, I think he's been in the business roughly 20 years. And he basically said he hasn't had to make a call for um, upwards of eight or 10 years. Wow. Because he's, first of all, done a great job building his business, right? And, and relationships. But but here's the, the point he made is, now it's quiet. He goes, he, and he lived through 2008, 2008. And he said, this is worse than 2008 in terms of pipeline, mm. right? And so I think the first thing is, is like, uh, we've got to, you know, see it for how it really is. Um, let's, and, and that, the, the, one of the problems I see that too many people are doing is they're, they're wishing, they're wishing it was like it was right. Like, why can't we go back to two and a half percent rate? Why can't we, you know, all that. It's just like, first thing I want to do is just say, wake up. All right. Uh, that was then this is now, and you've got to adjust and pivot for the, for the, what is the current market, uh, market at the moment. 
in the market at the moment is um it's 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 you know how the pendulum swings and everything like mm-hmm. that it i think temporarily swung in the direction of uh like my friend shayla gifford said what she's seeing is a lot of us are working twice as hard for half the results i agree i agree so that's my first first prescription is, you know, like I, I'm kind of like, I like the military metaphors and stuff like that. So when people come into my space, the first thing I, you know, I tell them is embrace the suck. Like, <laughs> don't be shocked if the water's cold. It's right. gonna be cold, but that's the whole point. You know what I mean? And if you just know what it is going in, um, don't be freaked out about it. Uh, have the right mindset. And then once you settle down, so to speak, uh, we can then look at what are the right actions to take. No, I love that. The new reality. And I mean, the reality is I've been doing this for 20 years, 2008. You know, I, I, I would argue, agree with the person you said that it, it, it is a little worse for some people. But then I think there are those that actually saw 2008, thrived in 2008. And when I say thrive, I mean survived and, and, and made it on the other side. Right now, it's not as bad as that from a pipeline perspective. But I think, I think the reason I say that is because are we talking about refinances? Yeah, terrible in a pipeline perspective. Or are we talking about purchase business? You know, purchase yes. business, I heard a, an adage a long time ago is that you pay your bills on purchases and you retire on refinances. <laughs> yeah, I like that. But that's, that's an excellent point as well. And I think that's the mistake uh, most originators make is, you know, they're chasing the dollar. And obviously when the when rates drop to two and a half percent, you're chasing dollars. Now, don't get me wrong. That's, you know, um, money, right? Mm-hmm. Knocking on the door. But I think in those in those instances, you have a choice to make. And the best example I can give to that, share with you of that is this. I interviewed on my podcast, Matt Weaver. Um, he is the number one purchase originator in the country. 1,499 purchase loans in 2022. Wow. Okay. Wow. 3% of his business when rates were two and a half was refi. 3%. So he's making a conscious choice. His number one client is the real estate agent, not the buyer. Dang. And what he said was, he goes, hey, Jeff, ready to go to 2.5% tomorrow? Who's my number one client? The realtor. And so I think that's to your point earlier about, you know, um, what was that cool line you said about? <laughs> yeah, you, you pay your bills on purchases, you retire on refinances. Exactly. You you pay your, but also you have sustainability on purchases because mm-hmm. I was just doing a presentation the other day and I pulled these stats from the NAR. Um, so yes, total sales volume is down for 2023, but guess what? Still 4.3 million homes are going to be sold in this country this year. That's incredible. And I believe that total is expected to like what total 1.4, $1.5 trillion. Yeah. So it's like, and that's why I love the question you don't open up with is everybody's like, oh my God, like, you know, yes, things have changed. Things are not the same. Guess what? You're in an industry that cycles. It goes up and is affected by different things. Um, However, that's why I like to take the macro look. Like for anybody listening right now, this is what I used to do when I was originating. uh, And I was in Orange County, Southern California, right? So it was a pretty active area, tons of real estate agents, tons of lenders. And there's 3 million people in my county. So larger than some. Um, However, I would look at the number of homes sold every month, uh, according to the, uh, you know, the board of realtors and stuff. And there was like, you know, two, 3000 homes sold. Okay. And I'm thinking, how many of those do I need? Mm-hmm. Go to your local market there and find out how many homes are sold. And so if you want some perspective of an adjustment now, assuming you don't live in, you know, podunk, whatever, that's got, you know, 12 homes, you get what I'm saying. But the point is, it's like, you might be surprised to realize, oh, there's actually 1,200 homes that were sold. How many do you need? Six, eight, 10, 12, right. 20? 
needed a hundred like Matt Weaver. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and I mean that you you have to know your market stats. You have to know you know what's available in order to have market penetration and and obtain the business that's out there. And you know, I think it's another mistake that um, a lot of originators and a lot of companies make is they don't even look at what you're describing right there. They just kind of ascertain their own idea of what's going on. You know, I was talking right. to a, a, an office the other day, and uh, they're in the Northeast, and I was like, "Hey, uh, where do you where do you rank in your top twenty five of lenders?" And they were like, uh, uh, and I was like, I'm not being rude, but you, you don't know, right? And they were like, no, no, I don't know. And I don't even know where to look. And I'm like, that that's one of the bigger challenges is how do you know what's available? How do you know what to target if you don't even know what's available and what's out there? Well, uh, great. And the other point I like about that is, you know, we have all these emotions and feelings, but are they based in fact and reality, right? And so that's why I think that exercise is useful uh, because you can feel like it's bad, uh, but when you look at, oh, there was 1,200 homes, you know, sold in my backyard last month, well, then maybe it's not that it's just so bad that you're just not capturing enough market share. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, and there's ways to do it, you know, and I mean, to your point, Weaver's doing 1,400 plus, you know, transactions in a year that some would deem not the best year, ironically, the fourth best year of real estate, you know, and he's, he's one right. of the reasons why 1,400 purchases plus over there is, is phenomenal. So l l let me ask you this, you know, there's this, there's this notion that you see a lot of different models for lending out there. You've got a lot of different uh, managers that are that are producing. They have producing managers. They have net branch PL managers. Um, and, and you've got right now this theology of a lot of managers we're hearing going, you know what? I, I got to go back to producing. I got to get back in the production role. Maybe because their PL is upside down. They're trying to get themselves out of the hole that they're in. Or maybe they're just trying to find a way to make money to pay the people that they have so they don't have to lay by off because, you know, there's some hard decisions that had to be made in 22 and going into 23 that some managers, they're not prepared to make, they don't want to make because this is a, this is a loyal business. You know, we do want to take care of our team members, you know, we kind of become like a family in some sort and find this bond. So managers going back into the production role, are you seeing that on your end through your coaching, some managers taking that step back and saying, you know what, I'm going to start originating again? Or do you see managers that are just giving leads the, you know, from their book of business down to the originators? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I don't have a great answer. I think it's situational based on the company and the individual and kind of how the company's mapped out, right, from a corporate level. I, but I know there are some companies that do have those branch managers or market leaders where they're also originating. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting situation for the loan officer who feels that like they're comp competing with them. Um, but I think it's also, it comes back to individual. Well, look, you've been around long enough to know as well. Um, some people are in management roles that shouldn't be, right? And they, should, they should stay a loan originator. Are you telling me just because you're a top producer doesn't mean you're not going to be a great manager? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Shocking, right? I know. That was always surprising to me. I'm like, hmm, by Tuttle alone, you're a leader, right? That's it. Right. Well, typically, great producers are somewhat a little more selfish than others. So, therefore, that's usually a flag. You don't want to be a manager if you're a pretty selfish person to begin with. I'm not saying everybody is, but typically, that's a characteristic of a top producer. Yeah, for me, I, I also, to take that question to the next stage of answering that probably in a, in a better way is... Um, I think if you're going to be in a quote management position, right, where you are going to be responsible for people, my decision on that is, do you want to lead people? Mm -hmm. Because I think it's completely ineffective and dilutes, um, you know, the the effectiveness of that role, of that branch, of that market, if somebody's there by title and name only and not by vested interest. Agree. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. 
and, and, and what, you know, I, what I get a sense from you when you were on my podcast, you know, you obviously, I think, um, embrace that and live that right from a leadership role and you take that responsibility seriously. Oh man. Well, thank you. I do. I appreciate that. And I do very much. And, uh, it's not one that, uh, is taken lightly and it, you know, it comes with a lot of sacrifice, but you know, I, I ask that because I'm starting to see a trend of that happening there. And as let's face it, a lot of companies didn't do financially well in 22. Some still aren't doing well in 23 and, and you see it through public earning reports or you see it just privately through some of the MBA reports, you know that this is an issue. And so there's this ideology to get out of the the hole or there's this ideology as a loan officer to get back into the game. I'll buy my way into production. You know, I've seen people do that. I'm going to go buy my way, buy leads, um, you know, sign up for a boom town, sign up for a Zoom, sign up for conversion. I'm going to buy my way into a production standpoint, whether it's through partnerships with real estate agents or just buying leads in general. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because I think I know where you stand, but I'd like our audience to hear that. My thoughts on buying leads? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I, I like to uh, try and approach things or stay in kind of an agnostic Switzerland frame. Uh, and, and the reason why I say that is because I have this saying uh, that everything works. It just doesn't work equally well everywhere all the time for everyone. Okay. Okay. And, and, the, and I say that because, you know, being in this, you know, where I've been now in this, I've had the good fortune of meeting and interviewing and, and, and digging deep into a lot of people's businesses and seeing how their businesses run. Um, and I've seen leads work for people buying leads. Okay. Uh, I've seen it not work. Um, and usually when it doesn't work is when they're thinking that buying leads is like the quick fix, the easy button, and you just pay some money and all of a sudden you get busy with, well, you do get busy, but all of a sudden, you get, right? All of a sudden you get all these incredible opportunities. And if anybody who's bought leads in the past is listening right now, you probably already know where we're going. It doesn't work like, um, if you're going to succeed with leads, you need a, you need infrastructure, you need a process, you need systems, tools, technology. You know, I'll go back to my favorite three, people, process, technology. You need those three things in place. If you are buying leads as a solo practitioner, um, you're going to need to do it at volume. And as a solo person without any of those systems or infrastructure in place, it's very difficult to convert those leads because as I'm sure you know, the average conversion time for an online lead is a minimum six months, mm -hmm. pushing more to the 12 month mark, especially in this current market. So if you don't have those systems in place, uh, this is why when, when whenever somebody comes into my world and we took a, take a look at sources of a business and look, you know, yes, on the podcast, almost I'm approaching 300 interviews, right? Most of those are the top originators across the country. What I've seen in asking them, the one question I always ask, what's your number one source of business? And I'm a little tired of hearing myself give the answer, but eight out of 10 of them say real estate agents. Absolutely. You know, and we can, we're, I'm happy to dig into why that is and, and debate that a little bit more. Um, but hopefully that answers the questions about leads. Not that I don't believe in leads. I just don't believe most people are equipped to handle them. No, I think you're right. And I think it's a, it's a compounding effect, right? So you're buying leads. The leads don't stop. They come in daily. So how can you effectively work a daily compounding of leads if you don't have the systems and technologies and the people to help? And a lot of people jump into this with, you know, abandoning those two things and then they get overwhelmed. And then all of a sudden you, you get disgruntled because you can't get caught up and you, you start cherry picking. And then all of a sudden you try to think that that's going to work and it does. And next thing you know, there's so many competitors in that space that are ahead of you on those three things you just described that they're beating you to the punch on almost every single deal. And so then you yep. get discouraged and you go, well, I wasted my money. You know, you kind of look for the next thing to go to. Well, and it's funny here. 
I'm going to reach for my shelf. Let me see if I can flip to, to find it. Uh, this is going to seem self-promotional because I just grabbed my book off the shelf. No, I love it. <laughs> but uh, I, w- I was looking for the graph I have in here in terms of uh, the conversion, you know, the best, the highest ROI, lowest total cost, highest conversion when it comes to leads. Um, and I've got a graphic in here that demonstrates, you know, that the purchase leads are going to be the lowest conversion um, most uh, effort, I'm trying to say this, hardest, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to take the most effort as compared to the other like warm circle of influence referral database type stuff. Correct. And, you know, so, as, as you're, and, you know, as you're looking for that in there, that brings you to my next question. So, you know, obviously right. eight out of, you know, real estate agents is every single person's answer to the most part. Eight out of 10 people are saying real estate agents when you ask them, how many people are saying database? Yeah, that's the other one. Yeah, uh, exactly. Those are the top two always. always. And, and there is the rare occasion where somebody says database first. That's what I was wondering. That's what I was wondering. See, because that's an ideology that we've started tapping into. And that's the ideology where we're going, wait a minute, that's a missing piece of the puzzle that, you know, we've been, we've been in business with, with our bank for almost 15 years. Our database is huge. And the fact that we didn't wake up until, you know, later on of 2020 and into 2021 and start going, wait, there's a lot of power in this. There's a tremendous amount of power in this. And uh, I was wondering, you know, I think that's a lost art. I heard a stat the other day. I thought this was interesting that your database has a 900% return compared to anything you do on social media. Yeah, I, I wouldn't argue that. I would say, to, I, I would like to put things to be very contextual. Um, here's what I found is, it is, uh, and you know this as well, a lot of LOs haven't done a great job with database. Oh, us right? Yep. And so, therefore, they can get some quicker hits and turns if they shift and go to social media. Okay. And if they do it, if they do it correctly and if they do it for the long term, um, so it's, it's really, it's all the above, right? So mm-hmm. if you were to me like sources of business, like where would I look? I would look first and foremost, uh, if you're a person who's, if, I don't work with anybody unless they're agent centric in the first place, right? Because I, th- I just think it's, it's not smart to completely, you know, push agents to the side, get over your issues and complaints and bitching and moaning about real estate agents. Correct. Okay? Correct. <laughs> oh. Because that's true in any any industry. So let's just take the pyramid here. It's agents, it's database, and then it's those other sources, which is probably in today's world going to be social media if that person is willing and comfortable to put themselves out there. Yeah, and I think that's 100% spot on. I mean, we are an agent-centric company. And <clears throat> to your point, I think we've always said that, listen, that is where our uh, formula of sustainable success thrives from is being partners with real estate agents. And, you know, if you can't do that and you treat it like a transaction, then you, you might as well not even have, you know, a purchase business. You're just getting leads at that point. And so, yeah, now here's a good point about that. You just made me think of another conversation I had with a loan officer in Arizona who, um, when I asked him what his number one source of business was, uh, he said, uh, leads, paid leads, comma, through the partnership he has with real estate agents. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, if you're paying for the lead, you don't really have a partnership at that point, you know? Uh, well, so, so actually, this is what's interesting. I love to unpack this a little bit because sure. that is the card most LOs play is, you know, realtors just want me to pay for their leads, right? We're, they want me to pay for half of their leads. And I've interviewed, uh, as you know, you know, a number of mega producers. I'm thinking of Lizzie Hofer out of Arizona, the top female originator in the country, I believe. Um, but last time I interviewed her, she had done, I think like 900 loans. Um, 
And I asked her that question very pointedly. And I've asked other people this question too. Well, what about the thing about paying for leads? And I think one of the best answers I heard uh, uh, to that was, it's a business decision. Mm -hmm. The problem is most people, when they hear that, it's filtered through the frame of realtors just want something from me. Well, yeah, but don't you want something from them? Great point. You know, you want their deals. So the point of this is it's the, it's the st structure and dynamics of the relationship, right? Is, is it equally yoked and matched? Mm -hmm. And lead card too often is it's not equally matched. And yes, the realtor is just looking to bleed off of you for money to, to some crappy leads that you have no control over. The gentleman I was referring to, I mean, their systems are integrated. Like when leads come in, they go into his CRM and his team follows up. You know what I mean? It's a full, what I said earlier, people process technology. Now that's like, you think about you running a business, Quinn. Let's say you were running, I don't know, you know, the plumber shop, the whatever, the chiropractor, right? You'd probably looking to, to generate leads by paying for some of those opportunities. Sure. I don't, I mean, our business should be equally, should be looking at that as a potential source as well. It's just, I think that's just further down the ranking until you get kind of like the foundations in place. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. Now, question I ask here is, who yeah. do you think should pay for that partnership? Should it be the LO? Should it be the company? Equal. Equal? Split equal? Oh, I mean, you mean company. I thought you were going to say agent. Yeah, company, like from the, from the lender side, who should cover that in your opinion? Uh... That is a very good question. <laughs> uh, I think it, it, it's going to somewhat depend on, like if I'm sitting here and I put my leadership hat on, right? I'm a market or something and I've got some, some I can write checks or whatever, right? And invest in things. Um, I'm looking at the individual LO and I'm going to first look at, well, what have you done prior to this? Are, are you doing the activities, right? That we know are going to generate the business, the realtor engagements and relationships, the past client database stuff. Uh, do you have a presence online on social media? Are you showing up? I'd look at that first because it goes back to, you know, kind of what we opened up with, which is if you're just looking to hit that easy button and just go, Hey man, I just want to answer the phone. Mm -hmm. You know, I just internet leads. Well, there's a lot of big box companies out there that, that they'll set you up all day long to handle the phone. <laughs> True. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Well, you know, it sounds like it's a business decision, right? Going back to that, it's a business decision type concept. And, you know, I completely understand that and agree with it as well. You know, when I'm looking at real estate agents and I'm looking at people that are trying to get into that market. Let's say someone's trying to transition from a book of refinance business or refinance model, and they want to make that transition into the purchase model. I have found that is one of the toughest transitions for someone to make. What advice do you offer to someone that's been so heavily entrenched in refinances? They're trying to make their way into the purchase world right now, and they're just not having that level of success. Maybe they're being boxed out maybe they can't even communicate with an agent properly. Like, because those are different conversations you're going to have than on that refinance side. What advice would you give to someone trying to break into that? Yeah, I think, um, man, these are good questions. I like it. Good stuff. <laughs> I think, um, that's called buying Thank time. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love I, it. Uh, I think uh, I start on that, that answer, I start with mindset. Um, I start with identity. Like, how do you see yourself? Because what I find anyways, and again, I'm, I don't have any empirical data on this. This is just from conversations. But usually what I find people trying to make that transition um, is that they, they see themselves as a salesperson. Mm -hmm. Like, I got a sales job. What do you do? Oh, I'm, a, I, I'm a loan officer. And, so, and, I, and I think in today's world to succeed in getting engagement with real estate agents, you need to, first of all, shift your identity and who you are and the value proposition you bring. 
Um, so what do I mean by that? I mean, I'm looking at a graph I've got on my screen here from a fresh presentation I did just the other day. So if you, again, back to the pyramid, mm -hmm. pyramid. But uh, at the bottom of that pyramid is, is this section called solicitor, cold calls, right? Which is somebody who's big box, banging the phones, doing refis, whatever, right? Um, they're waiting for something to happen to create an opportunity in a lot of cases. Rates go down. So how many people have been stuck sitting on their hands because, oh, well, I can't refi my 3.5% client. Right. Well, we you can, actually. Mm-hmm. Now, not everybody, but this is where you need to become more of a, an, an advisor, right? To understand what is their life situation. Maybe they got in debt. Maybe uh, they're having a college situation where they need to access to money. They're, they've got tons of equity, right? How can you repurpose that? Maybe they want to buy an investment property, second home, et cetera. Which again, shifts from salesperson waiting for something to happen to, you know, I'm, I'm a business professional. So back to the bottom of the period, solicitor, solicitor and cold calls. Uh, this goes back to um, identity and mindset. The next level of that that loan officers get to is vendor. Mm -hmm. it's a sales relationship, still not seen as an equal. And that is where most of the frustration that the originators have with agents is I'm stuck in this level of they see me as a vendor. It's all based on my products, my pricing. Oh, by the way, LO, most of that's your fault because <laughs> you're approaching and, and, right. you know, and, and presenting yourself. Absolutely. But then the next two final stages of that pyramid, as we continue to go up and it narrows, of course, is you become a peer where you're looked at with respect as an equal. Now you're building an actual relationship. And then the final cap on that thing is mentor and leader. Mm. We're helping agents solve problems. Love it. You know, I think so, that, that vendor one's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, look, I was just going to say that um, that's the end goal to get there is, is, is helping people solve problems, you know? Yeah, no, I love that pyramid because you know how many times I've heard whether, you know, someone that, that is in the industry exited or, you know, maybe I, I call it the great comeback in 2020 and 2021. They got back in the business because they were so smart. <laughs> they exited and got back in. Um, is that I hate it. I can't stand it when someone goes, well, they just view us as a commodity. And to your point, that's your approach, right? That's your approach. You're not providing enough value add in the relationship to where that's the only way you are seen. And that's completely your approach to the situation. But you can always point to, hey, who's the one, two, three, four, five agents that you work with that view you as a peer and why? And I mm -hmm. always think that is what does. Now, I don't use the term peer. I use it as an ambassador, but I like the word peer better. Who views you as a peer and why? And I think that's critical. Like that's, uh, I was taking notes as you said that because that, I think that unlocks a lot of the vendor problems. Yeah, and not everybody's going to be appropriate for that. Like if you think about the base of realtors you work with as an LO, um, not everybody's going to reach that because it's, it's not just you. It's also they have to want to be a peer with you. Mm -hmm. And maybe, maybe they don't. Like I think of uh, some LOs I've interviewed who, you know, these are you know top producers and I look at their MMI reports and I can see that they've closed a hundred loans from a hundred agents, <laughs> you know? Yes. And by the way, that's, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. No, not I, at all. That's, yeah. That's a low maintenance hopefully high return. And, and so that person, um, if you would ask that loan officer, and I know this cause I have that she wouldn't put them in the peer section mm -mm. Right? She, in terms of how she quantifies relationships. Uh, and by that agent probably wouldn't look at that, uh, loan officer because the relationship hasn't been established to that level, right? There's not enough of that kind of back and forth. 
That's correct. And when you said MMI reports, that's funny because I was just looking at some yesterday and I noticed someone that had, you know, 33 transactions, 27 different real estate agents. And, and it's like you said, it's they haven't done anything wrong. It's almost like a shotgun approach. It's working for them very well. And, you know, they have that one agent that they've done six with, right? That's their one person yeah. they're a peer with. And then the other ones are just kind of, they're, they're available as they have a deal that's available. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family and I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com, www.boemortgage.com, because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. What do you give advice to someone understanding as an originator, as a company, it's okay to be the second best option in that relationship. Just because you're not number one yet doesn't mean you can't be. But how? Do you, what advice do you give to someone that, that feels like they're number two or number three? Well, I remember um, in my dating years, right? <laughs> There was a, there was a, as a matter of fact, I, my wife um, was dating somebody when I met her. I was in the number two position. <laughs> Real life example. Here we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but was it worth waiting? Was it worth fighting for? Was it worth having a better value proposition to then replace the primary, right? And then become the number one? Well, 23 years later, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were working on your coaching game 23 years ago, you know, and <laughs> kind of testing some of the waters. That's fantastic. I, I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, but to, to yeah. kind of dive over, obviously it's a conceptually, everybody gets it. It's mm -hmm. like, look, I'd rather be number two than number zero. Exactly. You know, I, I've always had this theology, you know, I've had the door shut in my face many a times. And one of the best relationships I have with one of the, the, the largest companies in the world, they told me no three times. And on that first time I said, that's fine. I just got one question. Can I be your best number two? And they tell that story multiple times over, you know, since then and the approach that we took and it's okay being number two, it's okay being number three. You're still going to get options. You know, when you look at these, these, these agreements that people have, whether it's a market servicing agreement, desk lease, whatever, ASA, you want to call it like the highest penetration rate in the business is 30%. If you're damn lucky. 30%. Yeah. And you are working it to get that, which means even in the best case, there's still 70% opportunity out there for number two, number three, four, five, six. You know, and I think people have to understand that. And they have to know that, that to your point, not everybody's going to be a peer. Not everybody's going to get along like that. There's going to be different strokes for different folks out there. Right. Yeah. 30% capture rate. That's, that's, uh, yeah, that's uh, off, off the charts. <laughs> <laughs> that's off the charts. If you got that. 
you know, and uh, it, it's super interesting, you know, and, and, there, and it, it kind of leads to a theology that, you know, if you have a desk lease or you're doing something of that nature, you know, um, what do you give people advice on how to work that desk lease to its maximum potential? Um, what, what is, you know, I'm sure you deal with some originators that have some frustration that go, hey, listen, I have this, I'm sitting in there, I'm not getting the business that I'm looking at. You know, what advice do you give to that person? Let's do working a desk situation where the in-house lender. Correct. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, that is, uh, like I said, this is, that's the question I haven't thought about in a while. So I'm processing. Um, what I did is I immediately pictured myself is sitting at that desk because I was in an in-house lender for a while and uh, definitely been in many of those situations. Um, well, you know, and, I, and they're pretty, I mean, they're pretty darn, you know, rampant across, you know, the industry right now. But more importantly, there's some that are really, really doing well. And then there's some that just aren't doing well at all. They're almost like a ghost desk lease. Right. And I'd say that's probably more the norm, at least in my experience. Mm -hmm. uh, so for the ones, uh, here's what I know about any of those that do well is the leadership has to be engaged uh, and has mm -hmm. to be supportive. And of course, there's all different versions of that, right? Oh, we're getting, you know, whatever that agreement or MSA is, there's different structures of terms of how the broker is getting compensated. So I think it's got to be more about just then compensation because what I found, you've probably seen it too, is if it's all just about the dollars, then, you know, they're going to jump ship when the next offer comes with, with a more, a higher compensation. So that's where the, the, the synergy match, the, you know, dynamics of the relationship have to have to be correctly yoked, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so that's first and foremost. And then, uh, you know, for the loan officer, you know, be prepared to invest in those relationships, man, and, and, and FaceTime. Uh, that's how realtors work, if out of sight, out of mind. So if you don't like being quote chained to a desk, uh, then that's probably not the right fit for you. Yeah, and and and, and oftentimes in those situations, right, you, you've got to choose who's the loan officer you're going to put in those in those chairs, because you know a lion who likes to go out and hunt isn't going to like an in-house arrangement. Oh, that's a good point. But somebody who likes to just you know be fed, so to speak, or farm, you know, graze, uh, who's much more relationship, this is where you get the disc profile, look at their disc profile. Um, if they've got that high eye, very much people person and all that stuff, um, that's probably a better fit for that situation. Yeah, no, I think that's a great way of describing it. You know, and it's, it's really is, it truly is, you get out what you put into that relationship on the desk lease. You know, are you reliably there? Do you show up when you say you're going to be there? Do you meet people or do you sit in the office and act like you're not there? You know, do you get out, you know, do you walk around? Do you say hi to everyone? Even if it's the same person 10 times, they're going to know you're there. And, you know, do you, are you doing these things consistently? You know, I think that goes with anything you do. Just be consistent. Show up, be consistent. Right. You know, uh, whether it's a lunch and learn, whether it's a training, it doesn't matter. Just be consistent. Too many times people go, oh, but no one showed up. I only had two people there. It's like, then make that the best show on earth for those two people. You know, give it your all. And I think our industry has a little bit of, um, how can I say it, uh, this little bit of uh, entitlement of what they should be getting versus, you know, what they're earning based on their actions. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, now that I've had time to think about this further, I'm thinking, okay, so back to the to, to the broker, the leadership, are they, uh, so, well, I was going to say supporting you, but I would say celebrating you. You know, are they being behind the desk? Like, do they ever come out and like attend these meetings with you, stand up and edify you? Um, do you get access to the database? Do, are you, is there a private group, an intranet or a Facebook group that you are allowed to be part? Like all those things for me, if it's just like, here's your desk, here's our in-house, oh, and we have another in-house lender as well, two doors down. You know what I mean? Right. No. Yeah. 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 That's always a tough one there. But I, I think the critical 
component and you nailed it is the 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 synergy between the leadership of the real estate company and the leadership of the mortgage company. Those two things have to be on the same page. And if they do, then you're going to see, you know, closer to that 20, 30% capture rate that we're describing. So that's a great feedback there. I always get asked that all the time here. So let's, let's move into like more seasoned people that have been in this business. You know, that's probably where you, you, I mean, would you agree you deal with more seasoned people as a coach than you do newer people to the industry? I think, yes, uh, that's, that's opening up a little bit. Um, so, but generally I would, I would answer, I would say the people that are coming to my space, uh, I've got some folks that are seasoned, but also, you know, there are folks that are two, three years in okay. and have good run. Uh, and now they're like, like we said earlier, like, oh my God, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, kudos for them for recognizing that, by the way, going and hiring yeah. a coach and, and trying to get some help versus putting their head in the sand. You know, the ones that aren't calling and getting a coach are probably going to get out of the industry and, and wait for it to get good again and then jump back in later. But let's talk about those people that are that are diehards. They've been in the business. They were here in 08, uh, maybe post 08, and they've been in it this entire time. You know, wh- what are the successful traits that you see in those loan officers that seems to be consistent amongst all of them? Well, um, you said the key word there is consistent and, and it's consistency of actions. Because, um, you know, this business can be also, it become it can become a little bit repetitive. Uh, it, and it's kind of like working out, right? Staying fit. You're obviously a guy who works out and stays fit and like you probably repeat the same types of activities over and over again, don't you? Oh yeah, Absolutely. Right. You've got the circle of foods you're willing to eat. Yes. Once in a while you jump out of that. You know what I mean? You're going to like, you know, have your little, little cheat day or whatever, um, but you're going to go to the gym certain amount of times per week. You're going to hit certain body parts, et cetera. Right. Uh, because you're going to want to maintain consistency in that area of your life. Well, it's not rocket science. It's the same thing with this business. It is a sales business. And so what does that mean? It means consistent actions. Those are, you know, the, the, the conversations for me, it all comes back to conversations with you know, who are we going to have those with? It's going to be agents, database, other referral partners continue to expand that. Um, it's going to be engaging on social media because those are conversations. So uh, if I was to look at that trajectory of, you know, going back to our fundamentals, uh, you know, the, 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 the key sources of business, making sure that those are foundationally in place and then not try and implement too many bright, shiny objects at the same time, Right or what I call bridges. So if you picture a bridge, right? In a bridge, you've got this side and that side, and in the middle is that gap, and you wanna get from here to here, and you're looking at all these things I could do, right? The Facebook ads, the this, the that, the this, the leads, et cetera. But each one of those ideas is a bridge to you know, help you get from point A to point B. Well, the bridge takes a, ta- a time, attention, a focus. And when most LOs are, I think, in, in that situation, are trying to major in minors, to trying to do too many things at once, um, and you need to just focus on one or one to three key bridges, key activities at a time. Otherwise, you get completely burned out. Uh, you're ineffective. You know all that stuff. Yeah, I love that because that's one of the biggest things you know I see in the industry for people, especially that I know or that that work inside of you know even our own company. You know, there there does become a burnout phase. You know, especially for people that have been doing this for eight, nine, ten, twelve years, so forth, so on. There becomes that burnout phase of like, okay, yeah, I'm. I'm tired of doing the same rat race over and over again. And I love the fact that you just said, you know, you've got to re, you got to readjust your focus. 
it can't be overwhelming on everything that's going on because as you know, originally a loan, I like to use this analogy. The loan that was originated in 2014 has about an eight to one ratio to today's loan. And what I mean by that is I could probably close eight loans at the pace in 2014 that it takes me to close one at the pace today with all the different compliance traps, all the different documentation that's required. Even though we have all this automated stuff, there's more compliance that's, that's, kind of sunk into these deals now than ever before. And there's more stop stop holes that you have to ask for borrowers before than you ever had to do back in 2014. And so, mm. you know, it, it really does, for those that were in the business, and it does kind of hamper their styles. It's kind of been this whole, you know, mundane race to 2023 where we are now. And so, yeah, I, I always say, don't get overwhelmed in this. Like, let's find one area to put our attention on and let's measure the small wins daily. Like, let's look at the small wins. You know, I had a uh, I had a mentor of mine, I had him on the show too. I got a chance to tell him this. It's like, he said something to, my, in, to me in 2005 that changed my world forever. And it was, you know, in 2005, we were just getting ready to have that, that whole meltdown. It was kind of already being seen. It was getting tough. The hardest thing I had was keeping people, you know, train. I'd get them trained, they'd leave. I'd get them trained, they'd leave. It was a revolving door, and we couldn't build this foundation. And um, he told me, he said, Quinn, you know, you have to treat, at that time, you have to treat the mortgage game as if you are a college football coach, and every year you're recruiting for a new class. And you know they got a life shelf life of two, three, four years, or they could go on to the NFL. You know, they could go on to another company. And he goes, you have to treat it like that. He goes, however, there's going to be wins, there's going to be losses. But when you leave each day, I need you to write down the small victories and I need you to create an ESPN top 10 play. So when you go home, it's that it's the top 10. He goes, and not the, not the worst plays of the day. It's the top 10. So when you enter the house, that's what you're telling your family. That's what you're telling your kids. And, and you're going to get a better supportive energy base at home and bring that back into work. And he's like, that's so vital when you're battling so many things that are going on that may not be going your way at that time. Yeah, I like that. Replay the wins. Yeah, the small victories. You know, I had a uh, I had a new LO. She's been in the business for less than two years. And she came in and she was so excited about, she got a couple contracts over the weekend and she was able to solve a problem. And she was just, you could tell she was riding cloud nine. I said, take this moment, bottle it up. I'm gonna need you to hold on to it for a little bit because, you know, the next day or maybe a week from now, it's not gonna feel like all this just happened, but I need you to remember this moment. And sure enough, Three days later, she came by. She was like, oh, you know, this happened, that happened. I'm like, oh, remember, where's that bottle? Let's open it back up. And, and it was just interesting to kind of just see it happen that quickly, like unfold four days later from what had happened. So um, the small the small victories and, you know, focusing on those those one things, I think are really important for people that have been in the business, even if you're, you're new, such as she was in the business. So- Whatever, coaching. Yeah, well, no, hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Speaking of coaching, let's talk about your agent classes that you help originators with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, listen, I got in the business in 2003. Uh, my quick story was, uh, I actually, prior to that, as you mentioned in the bio was, uh, on the road working with Tony Robbins and my job, uh, there was to travel around the country, uh, live in a city for two months at a time. And myself and about six other guys and gals would, um, parachute into a city and live in corporate housing and then blanket the city to go to every sales organization we could. Right, which was every real estate mortgage, car sales, MLM, financial, you name it, insurance, uh, RV sales, which was my highlight story. But <laughs> and you're doing the whole Tony Robbins presentation, getting them to come onto the platform. Yeah, my job was to in 45 minutes walk into an office, complete strangers never met me before in their life, and 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 go ahead and sign up for the class, the seminar today, right now. Um, give me your credit card. We're gonna pass. We're gonna pass out those forms. Press, <laughs> press hard. Three I mean? copies. Love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and so I, after some, you know, I had to decide to come off the road and then start off, you know, the woman that I wound up was dating and became the number one spot. Uh, we got married and then 
Bert baby. And uh, so I was the breadwinner, right? And I, I made it a career decision. I was like, so what am I going to do? What do I really enjoy? And I chose mortgage. And uh, I remember the first year I really, really struggled. Um, uh, like I, you know, we had our first baby. I'm the only guy supposed to be bringing in money. I got a HELOC out on the house now just to pay for bills and stuff. And so I had to figure out, I'm like, cause my boss gave me my stack of cards and you know, you can relate this gives you the stack of cards, puts them on the desk. And you're like, go get some realtors, man. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. Like, Oh, okay. You're like, how do I do that? You know? So I did everything. Cold call, chase, open houses, broker previews, buy bottles of wine when they get a listing. I mean, you name it, man. I was scattered. Speaking of those bridges uh -huh. scattered all over the place. Wow. Um, just to fast forward what, you know, the light went on one day. I was like, wait a minute. If the name of the game is to get in front of as many agents as I possibly can, why am I doing it the way I'm doing it? Why don't I put a stake in the ground and host an event? So I did that. I brought in a guest speaker, is kind of a mentor of mine, Walter Sanford out of Long Beach, California, was a realtor, top realtor, became a trainer, all that stuff. Anyway, I put like 10 or 20 agents in the room, I think, early on, and then just kept doing it over and over. And eventually, I let the other guest speakers go, for the most part, and I became the speaker. And so, therefore, I built my personal brand of mm -hmm. back to problem solving real estate agents. So that, for me, accelerated, helped me leap, because if it's, if it's a numbers game, then it's 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 the law of large numbers. Can I get in front of maximum agents in minimum time, right? So I didn't have to cold call chase, work open houses on Sundays or anything like that. Uh, so for me, that's what kind of launched me from zero to 50 million in the first three years, is because I simply got in front of more agents, added more value, which is everything we're talking about mm -hmm. here, facilitated those conversations of like, oh, you're not, you know, even, even number two, cool. I was number two for a while, but I became number one because I was simply helping them more than, oh, I got great rates, great service. I close on time, which is not a problem any agent has today. Yeah, no, not at all. Not, not at all. Uh, so long story short is then I continued to do that. And then I, you know, switched out of originating, became more of like a sales trainer and coach uh, at the various companies and then uh, really perfected this system and platform to now where, you know, uh, my members have access to 12 or 15 classes. It's completely turnkey plug and play. Um, they choose the class they want to teach. They watch a video of me teaching the class. We run everything for them. The emails, the text messages, the landing pages, the follow-ups, all they need to do is go out there and you know, lead with education. Yeah, that's fantastic. Turnkey, lead with education. You know, I think you solved uh, one of the biggest problems of how do I do it? Or who's, or right. when do I have time to do it? Like you're literally doing it for them. And I think that's probably what drives the success of people in your coaching program is that you've got a turnkey system and a model that works. You know, I'd say it's, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. So thanks for sharing that with us. Jeff, if our audience wants to learn more about you, about your platform, about your programs, your books, where can they go find that out? Mortgage Marketing Institute is the main page. There you can find a link to my podcast, Mortgage Marketing Radio. You can also find a link to become a pro member. That's our platform we just talked about. So that'd probably be the best place and or on social media anywhere. Uh, the handle on social media is actually Mortgage Marketing Radio, which is the podcast name. Guys, do a favor. I mean, if you're listening to this, if you're an originator, if you're a real estate agent, you've got to check that podcast out of Mortgage Marketing Radio. It is a top 1% podcast globally. And not only that, I mean, Jeff is one of the best in the business. And definitely, I appreciate having you on the show today. I know your time is valuable. Um, one of the cool things I noticed on your website is, you know, you're giving away a copy of your Disrupt or Die book in the background. Yeah. Guys, check that out. Take advantage of that. Uh, you heard us mention it in the podcast. There's just so many good things and so many useful resources that are on that website. Um, but more importantly, Jeff, again, thanks for taking time for our audience today. This was an absolute home run. I cannot thank you enough for being on here. 
My pleasure, Quentin. I've loved it. Great questions, man. <laughs> oh, hey, you know, I appreciate you taking them on and answering them to the fullest there. Guys, if you like this show, please five-star this podcast, review, share it, you know, subscribe to our YouTube channel at What's Your One More? This was the number one, What's Your One More? Keep leaving those comments. We love answering those as we do our weekend review on there. And check us out on our social handles at What's Your One More? With the number one. Jeff, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you. I got one more shot, I'm gonna make it. One more chance, I'm gonna take it. I meant it when I said it, now it's time for me to do it. I got one life to live, so I put all into it, yeah.